But why do we care so much about what people think about us? If we're supposed to have picked up our cross, died, and been raised with Christ through baptism. That's what I would say. Because if you're caring so much that you're afraid of what someone's going to say when you say the word Jesus, you really need to ask yourself, how dead are you really? All right. I'm excited to have PD with me. Uh, we just went through a lesson on how to pronounce his last name. <laughs> I'm going to let him pronounce it because I think it'll come off a lot better. Um, so just real quick, I, I wanted to read a quick bio uh, for him so that you guys can get to know a little bit about who he is and things that he's doing. Uh, so PD is the primary voice behind Rise on Fire Ministries. He is an author, teacher, evangelist around the world. The mission of Rise on Fire is to not only equip believers for walking in the spirit by healing the sick, casting out demons, etc., but also helping them rediscover their roots and holiness to walk as Yeshua in truth through obedience to the instructions of the Father. PD's book entitled Reigniting Spirit and Truth, which is available now at spirittruthbook.com, discusses what he believes is upon, is upon us in understanding uh, Yahweh and the work he is doing in the world today and to come. Here's a short excerpt from the website for the book. 2,000 years removed and 33,000 denominations later, God is raising a final generation that must walk in the fullness of spirit and truth. This unity looks like Looks a little like mainstream Christianity, yet everything like Jesus. You can also listen to PD's podcast on a host of different locations like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and the list is very long. So if you want to check his podcast out, uh, you can go to the website. So uh, real quick, what I've been doing with everybody when we do the interviews is uh, I ask you first to kind of talk about your testimony. Tell us a little bit how you came to faith, where you were. Um, before your your current kind of move into um, Torah observance, pursuance, whatever you want to word that, maybe you can share that with us as well. Um, but I think this is a great opportunity for people to kind of be encouraged because we all kind of come at this from different standpoints mm -hmm. and different things that impacted us uh, to get us into uh, first biblical faith, but then also carrying that further into understanding and learning, learning the uh, application and relevance of, of Torah in our lives today. So if you could start there, that would be a great place to start. And like I said before, uh, go ahead and tell us what your last name is, um, and, and that way people can have something sure. to refer to. Yeah, I told Jeremy when he asked me, I said, you can pronounce it any way you want. <laughs> um, uh, I'm from South Africa, so my last name is, uh, I guess, Dutch Heritage, and uh, you say it by saying Van der Westhusen, right? So um, the only American I've ever had get it right the first time was my dentist and so <laughs> if you don't get it right it's all right <laughs> um yeah so you know i like i said i grew up in south africa and um, i grew up in a dutch reformed church um there and in that place you know we we were typical good sunday going christians devoted we sat in the front row seat we were usually a little late and, um, but, you know, we, we wanted to be good because going to church was how you're a good person and, and how you do this relationship with God thing that everyone talks about. So growing up, that's what I knew. Um, 
But then when I started getting a little older, started thinking for myself more, you know, this is around the time when a lot of our young people these days start veering off track. Um, I was privileged to have um, be be looking to Lord the Lord, and I, and I knew He was there. I knew He was real. I knew I wanted to follow Him. But my real problem was that I didn't know which way, because realistically speaking, when you look at it. Um, and as a teenager, right, looking at it, um, what I saw was, okay, there's there's my church and there's the other denominations and there's now 33,000 plus of them. And my dilemma was, Lord, I really want to follow you, but I don't know how, which way to go. And I remember even thinking, uh, what if I choose one way and I get to heaven and, he's, and he tells me, well, Petey, you, you've got the wrong way. Sorry, Matt, you know. <laughs> Um, and that, that actually put a fear in me. It gripped me. And, and I, and I remember falling on my knees one day and I just said, Lord, I want to follow you, but there's just one condition. I need the truth. And after that, uh, the father very quickly started revealing things to our family. We shortly thereafter started reading the Bible in a more deeper way, studying it deeper than ever, reading it for ourselves, not just through the eyes and the scope of our pastor, who was a good man, but we were experiencing God merely through him. Now we were experiencing God for ourselves, and the things he started showing us were magnificent and wonderful and started changing my life pretty drastically. Yeah, so your whole family is in uh, following Torah and and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, most, most of them. Nice. Okay, cool. Um, so I have a quick question just based on your history. Cause I, I don't know that I've met anyone, um, who was part of a Dutch faith. Um, how, how would that distinguish from what we typically see like with Protestants or evangelicals in the United States? What, what might, if you sat down in Sunday and at your, uh, fellowship there in uh, South Africa, how would that differ than the, the normal thing that we see here in America? Yeah. I mean, well, I think that you do get uh, things similar to that in um, America, Uh, very typical reform beliefs, you know, belief in everything that most mostly we believe as typical evangelical Christians. Mm -hmm. But um, I would say what differs and it's very it's uh, in its um, stature, it's a little bit more strict. which can be a good thing, but also can be a little bit too, uh, you know, we, we, we're not allowed to get excited, um, <laughs> too excited in church, if you say it like that. Um, uh, a lot of hymn singing, which is, I love mm-hmm. hymns, so that's good. But yeah, that's kind of the, the thing. I guess the one thing I could, if I could say something that uh, was a drawback, was that the Holy Spirit was seen, I mean, believed in, of course, but seen as simply this part of, God that helps us understand his word. And that's basically it. He's limited to that role. And um, so anything that is more leaning towards praying for each other, even within the church, that's weird. You know, that's what the pastor does. Um, Baptism is exclusively for the pastor to do. Making disciples is exclusively for the pastor to do. Uh, Our job is coming to church and trying to be like Christ in, in our lives. Right. Okay. Uh, and we're going to get into some of those topics a little bit later. So I'm glad you, you touched on some of those because I think that'll inform some of the stuff that we're going to talk about later. So you talked a little bit about how your family got into this. Um, 
when you were growing up. And so I, I want to ask a question. And again, I, I, I try to ask everybody this question, but if you could look back, was there a point where something stood out to you about scripture or uh, something you were studying or something that you were doing or something that you saw that said, look, that was kind of the turning point for us when, when we were like, yeah, we have to start doing things a little bit differently. Um, so what, what was your experience with that? Do you remember that turning point? And if you do, what, what was it? Um, well, I think that the biggest thing for me personally was the Sabbath um, because, you know, it's really challenging. That's one of the most challenging things we discovered. And um, because it really tips your life a little bit on it on its side and that, you know, you're so used to being able to obviously work whenever you want, do whatever you want and being in school and later soon going to university and eventually going into a workplace. Um, but, you know, I was wrestling with this when I was in school, going into university. And so schoolwork and studying for tests and exams and, you know, at university level, whatever, that's typically going to happen anytime you need it to happen. Right. right. And um, I remember, you know, when I started taking steps of really trusting the father um, by realizing I will not have enough time to get through my work. Um, but if I. Uh, but Lord, I'm going to trust you regardless. I'm not going to be able to get to this part of the book for my exam on Monday, but I'm going to trust you. And and I just saw the father bless me academically, for example, so abundantly getting higher marks than ever, even though I studied less, <laughs> but I studied on the right days. Um, you know, little things like that, little things, it's such small things, but the father just started showing me, wow, there's such blessing and he started opening great doors for me making me um exceed things i uh, pause places and standards I, I never was able to go before so yeah that's, yeah, that's cool awesome yeah and i know a lot of people that kind of get into this and that's one of the 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 things for them is is kind of looking at the bible what does the bible say about the sabbath what is it supposed to look like uh the next question i want to ask you just kind of personal but what kind of got you into evangelism because i know this is a big part of what you do um so what what got you into that part of your life well the bible <laughs> <laughs> you know i i say that you know jokingly but also in a serious light and what i mean is just that um you know what sometimes i found that you know people when they look at me or or someone who who loves talking about God to others or something like that, something we call an evangelist, we which is a biblical term, of course. Um, but I found that people started labeling me like that because sometimes um, they saw it as being so different that it must be a special thing exclusively for me, you know. And uh, I'm so glad you you brought this up, you know. Um, so. What I, what happened to me is, you know, when I started coming to the understanding of a lot of the truths of the things that I just spoke about earlier, like the Sabbath, you know, and the amazing biblical feast days and the value it has today for us and things like that, you know, I, and I started getting more uh, understanding of God's word itself, and that's very valuable. Um, and I started growing and going to all the Bible studies, you know, go to three Bible studies every Sabbath. <laughs> like I just I loved it. It was great. Right. But but at the same time, then I opened the book of Acts and and, and that's a big part of the Bible, too. And, and, and just the life of Yeshua, because at the end of the day, I I want to just walk like he walked. I want to walk like Jesus, whatever he did. I want to just be like him. And I think that that's what most Christians would say. They just want to be like him. Now, if we want to be like him, though, it's it's not just in terms of the truths he he walked out in terms and what he believed, 
of what the truth is, but it's also about the fact that he went and became a love everywhere he went to absolute strangers. And he called that loving your neighbor. And he called that non-negotiable. And he even went as far to call it this, we know today as this, this great commission. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's as far as to be the thing that has become the last things he told us to do before he ascended. Like, you know, he's like, hey, guys, you know, the disciples are there. They're getting the feeling he's going to go soon. And, and the last things that he tells him is go into the world, proclaim the gospel to every creature. And, you know, some people read that and, and have thought, and I, I was taught this is, you know, that's the disciples. That's what the disciples were sent to do. That's their job. And, and that's it. And, and us, we're just going to be good Sunday going Christians. And it's a little different for us. You know, but then I read further and I read about how these elders, you know, were sent out, you know, later. And then they made disciples and they made disciples. And, and the whole New Testament became a explosion of discipleship. And that's why we're, we're sitting here today talking about him because it wasn't just a pastor or an apostle that thought of themselves as an evangelist. But everyone started taking that role upon themselves to yes. some degree, even if they were not all in the office of evangelism. Sure, sure. Um, and we're actually going to hit on that in a little bit more detail later. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so real quick, before we get too far, what I want to do is kind of define terms. So people know when, when you say evangelism, what is it you think the Bible is trying to say? And, and if, if you could define it, you've explained it a little bit. Mm. If you could put a biblical definition on what evangelism is, what is it? Mm. Well, you know, there was an interesting study that was recently done by the Barna Group. It's a big Christian survey. You know, they do a lot mm. of research and they asked young, well, they asked millennial Christians, believers, um, what they think about evangelism. And, that, and, it, and they discovered that 47% of those millennials said that they believe that sh sharing your faith with another person in hope that they may one day share in the same faith, which is what evangelism is, 47% of millennials who believe uh, said that they think that's wrong. And so, you know, that's what the textbook definition of it is. Of it is. And, and we see, unfortunately, that many people are just by that textbook definition already are, are kind of feeling that that's far removed from our culture, mm -hmm. even labeling as being wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So if you guys don't follow PD, he actually did a video on this a few days ago. I'll make sure to put a link for that in the, the video description on our YouTube channel. So you guys can check it out. One thing you'll notice in PD's videos, he's, he's very sincere, very passionate about the stuff that he says. Um, and probably even more so in this particular video, um, than what I've seen for you in a lot of other ones. Um, but I think the root cause of that, we're actually going to talk a little bit about later, and that is we're losing generations of believers, um, at least here in America, um, if not in some kind of Western societies around the world. Um, but that does contrast with stuff that we're seeing in other countries where they're adding to their numbers greatly, you know. And so we'll talk a little bit about the differences. Uh, PD is ministered in different countries, so he has a perspective on that that, that many of us probably don't. So uh, we will talk about that a little bit later. All right. So uh, many people, especially in America, view evangelism as a they action and not a me action. In other words, um, you kind of hit on this before. Um, that's their job. They've been called to do that. Or clearly he likes talking about the Bible. He must be an evangelist or, you know, whatever. It, it's real easy to kind of push that off on somebody who has an office or a position of evangelist. Um, but is that how the Bible looks at evangelism? 
Well, it's not, but I understand where this perspective comes from, you know, um, and I think we really go far back. It's pretty rooted in the Catholic Church and the ideas surrounding it, you know, which, you know, is uh, which a lot of our roots come from, unfortunately, as it may be, if you may, you know, so what we see is that there's um, this idea, like I briefly mentioned earlier, that the the pastor, the priest, um, the full-time religious leaders, ministers, preachers, whatever you want to call them, they have responsibility. And usually evangelism falls into that category. When we say evangelist, um, many of our thoughts would immediately go to going to some African country or island in the middle of nowhere where no one's ever been missionaries telling someone about Jesus. And of course, that's true. Um, and that's valuable in of itself. However, if the first century church thought about it as that and exclusively that, then we won't be seeing any of what we saw happen. In fact, mm-hmm. most of us wouldn't even be believers because most of the responsibility of evangelism was taken upon the church as a whole, um, not just to the apostles or some s- set of leaders. And I think when I, you see, let me just make a distinction here. When we are talking about the office of evan- an evangelist, which is a biblical office, that there is a role like that, a role of, you know, we're all called to you know, some teachers, some evangelists, some right. apostles, etc. And at the end of the day, um, there are going to be individuals gifted and called to have that as their potentially even full-time job, right? But that does that's not taking a, that should not be taking away from the great commission that all of us have been called to by the Messiah. And so if you want to call yourself a disciple, which means that you are now following, imitating your Messiah, you will gonna you're gonna have to act the way he did. And it'll be really hard to do that if you're gonna cut out evangelism from his life and so that you don't need to do that. Um, because at the end of the day, if you think about it, when you do that, you're going to cut out half of your New Testament. Mm. Just about. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I don't think we always look at it that way, but yeah, a lot of the New Testament is the record of their evangelizing, right? The work that they were doing after he, right. after he ascended. And so, yeah, I think it's a, that's a really solid point that I, I don't think we often have a, a really great perspective on. So uh, what would be the biblical reason why that, that we as believers and disciples of Yeshua should pursue evangelism the way that the scriptures mm-hmm. uh, teach us to? Well, I mean, as with many things in the scriptures, I would say firstly that it is because he told us to, mm-hmm. but that doesn't answer the question of why he told us to, right? Um, of course. So, you know, I, you know, here's the deal is if, if you're a believer, uh, it's usually because you are so in love with the Messiah because of what he's done for you. It's the old gospel idea. He mm-hmm. died for my sins. He made me clean. He allowed me to come before the father. Now, this whole thing, what we call the gospel, is something that he could have done, um, be, had, he could have made plans about making it known to the world in many various ways that excluded us. He could have just implanted it into the thoughts of people. He could have done it many ways, but he chose to partner with his people, um, his sons and daughters, to be to to bring them on on board with this mission and i think that if you look up like look at it this way 
this is the the evangelism is the driving force of the gospel if mm. you take away evangelism you do in in effect take away the gospel because you if we take away evangelism today in a few years there will be no more believers left yeah because at the end of the and that's why it's so important that we all become a part of this in our daily life in whichever big or small way um because in our in our declaring of it in our love for other people um we are that's one of the best ways that we can show our messiah our love for him and appreciation for his death on the cross for our sins and that ultimately to answer the why that brings in others into the gospel into the kingdom and that's why he came so if we forget about evangelism in some ways he came for nothing because yeah. we are then selfish in that we accept what he did for us and but we don't want anyone else to have it and this is what right. the pharisees in the first century yeah. really wanted that's what i was thinking you know? of yeah it was all about you know us we don't for the jews first which is true to the jew first but they thought not to the gentile not to anyone else and if we are going to have this attitude that evangelism is, is not that important we're, we're basically falling into the same ditch they did yeah. and yeshua was really not happy with that mm -hmm. mentality um of yeah. yeah yeah and that's a good good perspective and and one of the scriptures that that may come to mind is when uh, yeshua is talking to the pharisees and, and he says you shut the kingdom of heaven not only for yourself but for others as well you basically shut the door and blocked it and nobody's getting in at all Okay. So we've, we've used the word gospel about 10 times now. So uh, mm -hmm. I think one of the, one of the challenging things when people hear that word is, especially if you've been in church, you hear the word so much that nobody ever sits down and defines what that is. Right. Um, it, it's one of those words that we always use like mm -hmm. prayer and holiness. Right. And we just say the words as if everybody understands what they mean. So if you could real quick, just summarize for our listeners, mm -hmm. what is the gospel? Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> I mean, as, <clears throat> As human beings, I mean, by nature, we are um, now divorced from God because we have fallen into sin. We all have sin. We've all fallen short of the perfection, that standard that God is, because God is perfect, holy, righteous, and we are just not. And so just even his, his, his stature of holiness and righteousness is so high and perfect that even the slightest imperfection within us is enough to separate us from him eternally because God, because he is so holy, cannot come near anything as unclean as we are in our state uh, by nature. Mm -hmm. And so um, this was a big problem and God loves us so much that he had, he wanted to find a solution to this. And the only way that this could have been rectified is if he came in the flesh himself to die for the sins of the world. And, that's what he did in Yeshua, right? Came, lived a perfect life, the life that none of us ever lived. Um, he was perfectly righteous, never sinned, made any mistakes. And at the end of the day, men came and crucified him, even though he was proven innocent. Um, and because of that, he was able to die and death had no hold on him because death only can, you can only die if you have because of sin because sin, the the wages of sin is death so if you have no sin you will not be able to die and that's really if you want to it's not really a loophole but but that's what god did is because he had no sin 
he was able to go and even though he was killed, death had no hold on him. He was raised. And when he was raised from the dead, he now allow, opened the door of forgiveness for us. Because when he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Because ultimately, the reason he died was because of our all our sins, my, my sins, Jeremy's right. sins, and everyone who's listening's sins. So if I never sinned and no one, you know, he, he wouldn't need to die for me. But because I did, he needed to die. And so yeah. now he dies for me. He says, but I forgive you. And now he, with all his authority that he has, he, he wipes my sins clean. And now I can come before the Father forgiven and clean as if I have never sinned. And I can have the relationship with him that, I've, that he's always wanted with me. And in this journey, we discover him and we learn to love him more and more. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and the yeah the basic crux of the gospel is look I deserve to die for the things I've done right, and he has um uh, he has taken that blood guilt upon himself right and um and I think one of the things that when we finally got into kind of learning about the Old Testament and how it relates to the New Testament at least for my family one of the things that stood out to me is understanding why that was the requirement and that's because God set that up himself to teach us so when the time came we'd understand what was happening if like if we didn't see the fall happen how would if imagine Adam and Eve never fell and it was all just you know how would we even be able to love him the way we can now yeah yeah because, it would be a different thing for sure right it, it provided opportunity for him to show his absolute love for us yeah so, yeah yeah. Awesome. So we're going to move into the next section. So we've kind of gone through evangelism one-on-one. We've defined the gospel. We've defined evangelism. We've talked about the why behind the gospel. And so if that is enough, we're going to get into some of the roadblocks that a lot of us kind of use, um, maybe unintentionally, and some of us maybe intentionally to, to avoid this call or this um, this thing that God has asked us to do, and that is to share the good news, the gospel with those um, to all the corners of the earth. And so we're going to get into talking about some common roadblocks. And PD, if you have something that you want to add to that once we're done, that maybe I'm not talking about just in your own experience, then we can certainly cover that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But the first one that I kind of want to address is, and I've heard this from everyone, from parents um, teaching their own children and to the person who's been sitting in in the pew or the, the seat every week is, I don't know the Bible well enough. That's one of the most common objections I hear. Well, what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? Uh, what if I explain things wrong and they go to hell? <laughs> you know. Um, so, how, how do we address that particular roadblock? I don't know the Bible well enough. You know, I think when people say that they're they're thinking of it wrong because, um, and, and I understand why. Because I guess when we think about say evangelism, we immediately think about someone telling someone else, teaching someone else about the Bible, and it can be that, of course. But actually, my first impression is telling them why you believe sharing why i mean the reason that i believe in the bible wasn't because i for me at least it wasn't because i sat in a bible study and thought wow this knowledge sounds really interesting it was about what he did for me it was about the miracles that i've experienced in my life it was things so much deeper than than just knowledge, which is valuable, but, you know, and, and this is valuable because this is something we all have. We all have a testimony. We all have a reason. And that reason is not just intellectual, it's deeper. So 
I would go if I'm someone and I, let's just say I feel like I don't know the Bible well enough and all this. Oh, that's not a disqualifier. You can start yeah. being an evangelist from the day you got baptized. In fact, yeah. you should. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so you know we've baptized someone, and then right after that, we let that baptized person baptize the next person because that's what it looks like. You know, and at the end of the day. Um, Sharing your testimony is simple and easy, and you can then from there take it into the bigger things. In fact, um, if, you're a, if you know a lot about the Bible, I will still tell you to go towards your testimony before mm -hmm. anything else, because that's going to be more valuable and powerful likely for the person listening. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I recently talked to uh, David Wilbur talking about apologetics, because that is more of a discipline that comes from a... Um, I guess more of a logical standpoint where somebody who kind of wants to hear a more logical argument um, that that's something that might appeal to them. So I, I think there's certain, certainly room for both categories of people, oh, but like you said, it, it's not relegated to one or the other. It can be both. You said, right, start with your personal testimony. You know, why do you believe? And, and I think that's a great statement, but some of us don't have what we feel like is a testimony, you know, like I grew up in church. I don't remember a day of my life where I wasn't in some form or fashion in church. Um, and, and so for me being in church is actually pretty normal, you know? Um, so what do you say to those people that say, look, I, I wasn't, you know, freed from drugs or I didn't almost die or, you know, um, <laughs> what do you say to those people who, who feel like maybe their, their testimony isn't, isn't enough? Um, and, and, what do they have to offer even in, in what they feel is common? Yeah. I mean, I think we'd be surprised, you know, I, I'm myself, I don't have a, I got free from a drug addiction testimony or anything like that. Um, and similarly for my wife, you know, she grew up, we both grew up as believers. Uh, my wife actually posted her testimony not too long ago um, online and she has a very, um, it's, it's a little, it's, in, it's, it's different, but it's not the kind of testimony that we're thinking about of the, drug addict who got delivered it's a very sincere story about her journey with god and for example that that touched many people you know we could be surprised it doesn't have to be this big thing um i will say you know even though we you know if you grew up in church and like, like I, I did and like you did uh, jeremy uh yes but at the same time we also have stories we also have times when we really needed God, when we were in a ditch, when we were so absolutely dependent on him and we saw him come through at the last mm -hmm. minute. You know, um, I was just sitting uh, not long ago, a few months ago, I, um, I, was sitting at a, uh, I was sitting at a hairdresser and this guy, he was struggling to understand God. And I just, we just talked, we just, I just have a good time just telling him about my life. I wasn't even going for, do you know Jesus? You know, I was just, right, right. I was just telling him about, oh, you know, I just, at that point I was moved, I, mo I just moved to the US and, and I told him the journey. I told him how, and oh, and God opened this door. Like, for example, the day that, um, so I moved, um, I moved here and my wedding was like just after I landed, my wedding was soon thereafter. Wow. And my passport didn't come through to, um, I, I literally went to the airport in South Africa when I was driving to the airport, I drove and picked up my passport at the office. And then I drove to the airport to fly because, and we waited over a year for that passport. Okay. 
like stuff like that happened, how God just opened doors and things. And, you know, just I have tons of stories like that. And I think we all really do. We just need to start think, go back and think about what has God done for me? Write yeah. it out, think about it. And so that when you come face to face with a person who needs to hear it, you have it right there in your tool set and you can just yeah. share. Um, for yeah. that guy, you know, I just shared these simple things and he was like, wow, you seem to really know where you're going in life. And, and I'm just like, well, yeah, that's what God does for us. I have a yeah. purpose and a calling. Simple things that we think are simple, but yeah. for someone who doesn't believe and who has little direction, those are our revelation, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's a good way of putting it too. Because I, again, what may be commonplace to us is not necessarily commonplace for somebody else. And so understanding that somebody can have a relationship with God and that be normal, <laughs> right, um, is a foreign concept to a lot of people. All right. So uh, let's move on to the next roadblock that I, that I hear a lot from people. Um, and that is that re that fear of, of rejection or being hated. Um, and, and this actually comes at a really timely point, I guess, in, in our Western culture anyway, of cancel culture, right? Where the smallest little offense gets you marked up on the wall and nobody talks to you anymore. And, um, and I think more and more and more, at least socially, uh, th this is a real threat, right? Because that, that's one place where people have power. And that is to remove you from the, the social voice or the social acceptance if they disagree with your perspective. Well, the Bible has become even more offensive, if that's possible, than, than it has, you know, and we see that working through history. And so that fear of being rejected or hated, that, that, that concern or worry about being, quote, canceled by either friends or coworkers or even family, mm -hmm. um, how, how do we respond to that fear? And, and, and if you personally might be able to speak to, how do we overcome it? Yeah, that's good. First, I want I wanted to say, I think we, you know, when we grow up in a place like America or any Western culture, I think we need some perspective. Um, you know, there, is re there has been what you just described, right? This increase of, if you want to call it persecution, you know, I, I don't want, I won't even go as far as to say that. Um, but, yeah, but you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, but if you look at your Bible and you look at America, I mean, I see, I can drive in some places in America where there's like 20 churches in one street and it baffles me. It's amazing. Right. And I mean, in a really good way, it means there's, there's believers here. Right. And it's accepted. Like you can have a church on a street corner and no one's going to bat an eye about that. No one's going to say anything about that. Well, go back. You think that's normal. But in the first century, it wasn't. People were burned at the stake. Yeah. People were killed for just saying a word, for saying his name. And so they weren't stopped by that. They, In fact, we see more growth happening there than we see today, which is quite mm -hmm. interesting, isn't it? Yeah. That you would think that more opposition would, would stop the gospel or make it harder and make people more people stand back because of this fear, which theoretically, but actually what we saw is we saw that there were more believers who were more true to their faith yeah. and more passionate about their faith because you don't believe just because it's culturally acceptable anymore. Right. You believe because you really believe. And yeah. these people were so on fire that it spread like wildfire. Mm -hmm. So, I, uh, what I see is p when people are afraid is 
I want us to first just think, okay, guys, let's get some perspective here because we live in the easiest place of the world to talk about Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and even in the next 10 years, it's going to still be like that. It's going to be easy compared to many places right, right now in this world. So I think that that's a true concern, like the, the opposition, but I think that that's a cop out. <laughs> <in some other way. laughs> um, I think it is, it's, it's, an, it's what people are saying, no doubt about that, but I think it's a lame excuse. Okay. Um, and, you know, a lot of millennials, uh, like in that statistic I threw out earlier, mm -hmm. they would tell you they are afraid of what people will say or think about them. But the thing is that Yeshua said, pick up your cross and follow me. So when he says that, that implies that you need to go to the same place he did when he picked up his. That is to the grave. And he was then resurrected thereafter. Now, you know, I always say this, you know, if you, I don't know who, if you're listening to this, right? I'm, us talking and if you've ever been to a graveyard any time recently or a while ago you know when you walk through a graveyard and you see a bunch of graves those people they're dead and they really don't couldn't care less about what you think about them but why do we care so much about what people think about us if we're supposed to have picked up our cross died and been raised with christ through baptism that's what i would say because if you're caring so much that you're afraid of what someone's going to say when you say the word Jesus, you really need to ask yourself, how dead are you really? And are you as dead as you thought you are? You, you thought you were. Yeah. I, and, and I want to say this. Um, I, and I, because I've seen so much of, of his uh, teaching, uh, he's not being condescending here. Uh, it's, it's a real thing. And when, when I think far too often we kind of locked into our own culture and the way our culture thinks and the way our culture does things that we forget that there are other people out there. And you talk about in the first century, the price that most believers paid for their faith. And so when they picked up that, that mantle, they picked up that cross, they, they knew likely it was going to lead to their death and they picked it up willingly knowing that that's how much faith they had. Um, but there are people today in our world that's, that face that same outcome. Um, and if not death, it, they won't be able to find a job. And if, or if not that, then um, like literally being disowned and never talked to by their families and, and things like that. So uh, to, to PD's point, I, I think what we need to understand is what, what we may suffer here in the States is relatively minor in the large scheme of things. And if we are unwilling to suffer even in that smallest amount, then that should tell us something about where our faith really is, or I guess the the conviction of that faith, at least. And and maybe we need to go back to the word and, and pray through that a little bit and, and ask God to, you know, what's really causing this in me and, and, and what do we do about it? So that was the second question I asked is, how do we overcome that? Because for, for people that are in that headspace, it's a very real, real fear, even if comparatively it's a relatively small thing. What do we do at least mentally or spiritually um, to encourage or to overcome that particular fear or concern of that rejection or that hatred that people will show us because it will come yeah. just maybe in different ways. Great. That's, you know, that's where I want to go after this. And, you know, so I want to just clarify that when I said, when I was making this comparison to the first century and the rest of the world, right. And I'm, I'm trying to give us perspective, but right. at the same time, I am not speaking down, looking down upon someone who does have fear because I was terrified mm -hmm. about this very thing myself. Um, and, you know, right now, if you don't, if you've only met me today, you know, you would say, oh, he looks very 
uh, outgoing or something. But but that's not really um, totally the case even today, and even more so back then, because I was extremely afraid of people. It was my my biggest fear, my phobia, my um, disability was being social, as as funny as that sounds. And so, you know, I was the worst person that God could look upon to say, go and tell someone about me, okay? Um, and so I, I know the fear very intimately. I think that it's, first I want to just say that if we feel afraid, don't feel like I'm not worthy, there's something wrong with me, um, things like that, because everyone, even if they're an extrovert or an introvert or what kind of personality type you are, everyone ha experiences that. And most of us will experience that to a large degree, especially in the beginning when yep. we when this is foreign to us, because we don't grow up with this mentality. You know, if you grew up with this mentality of telling others about him, it will be easier. But if you've never, it's very strange. It's very awkward. Sometimes yep. you feel awkward. You feel weird about it. Okay. The, I'm just putting it out like there so that we can all understand the reality so that when you feel this, you don't think like it's just you. Yeah. Um, so this is, that's what we experience. But what we need to do is really go and, 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 and think about, okay, I want to be like my Messiah, encourage yourself, push yourself and be like, I need to see what he saw. I need to do what he did. I want to. And that hunger to see and do must be greater than your fear. That's where you need to get at. Um, you know, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, these men were all in one accord in one place, hungry for the Holy Spirit. And that's mm -hmm. what was partly why he was poured out in that room that day in Acts chapter 2. So what we have to do is get to that place of hunger and then start small. Like just, just, just do something small. When you go to that checkout in the grocery store, you know, for some of us, it's going to be really hard to the last few seconds as you're just swiping your car to say, hey, Jesus loves you to the cashier. You know, I know that could be hard for some of us. And so just do that next time and do it again and do it again. And and, so, and you'll see that you, you're not going to die. You, you realize I walked away <laughs> and I'm alive and no one got hurt and it's all right, you know. Yeah. Um, the worst that ever, you know, usually nothing bad happens. The worst that can happen is nothing in that the person doesn't respond with, oh, you know, thank you. And the, 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 maybe they respond with a lesser degree of excitement than that. Yeah, That's the worst that can happen. The best that can happen is you're the fifth person that day that told that person that and they don't, they're not a believer and they're really scratching their head at that point thinking what's going on. Yeah, I'm speaking yeah. from experience because I've seen that happen. Yeah. Right? Um, uh, this is one guy who was like, hey, why are you freaked out on me? Why are you telling me this? And I'm like, uh, just share, you know, I just do that all the time. Well, you're like the third person today to tell me that. Like, and I'm like, okay, you know, maybe God's trying to reach you, <laughs> you know. So simple things. You'd be surprised at what that can even do. Yeah. And something else that I want to point out, because I, I, I think that's true. Start small because doing something is better than doing nothing at all. Um, in addition to that, uh, one thing that we see with um, the Messiah is he would meet needs, right? If you see somebody who has needs, sometimes that's the easiest and quickest way to enter into their life and to become a part of their life uh, in a way where 
they're willing to hear what you have to say because you're doing something that somebody else wouldn't have done. I mean, yeah, I've seen amazing things as well. When you see a need, you reach out because the world is not going to be reaching out. Yeah. Um, and these people will see their, that and they'll be like, what is it about you that you're, you look different? You have a fire in you that I haven't seen before. Very valuable. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's move to the the next one. And maybe this is one that's less common, but I, you actually talk about this uh, in the book. It's, I read a quote from your website earlier that actually deals with this next topic. And I think one of the greatest challenges to, to good and true evangelism is division within the church itself. Um, and that is we spend so much time arguing amongst each other about our own opinions that we never leave our building to go talk to somebody else. You know, there are hosts and, and millions and millions and millions of videos online of, of us criticizing each other. Um, but what are we, what are we doing to share the gospel? You know? So, um, how does it, how does division within the church hinder evangelism or keep it from being fully effective? You see, we have uh, sometimes as believers and well, not just believers, but as people, um, this desire to be proven right, to be the one who is right, especially when we enter some form of a debate. There's nothing wrong with debating scripture or anything like that, but, pride can so easily start creeping in. And at that point, it becomes, I'm right and you're not, and I'm going to prove it. And that become, and for many believers, that has become their evangelism. Mm -hmm. That has become what they would say is their duty now to go and win debates online or or in person. And that's the extent of it. Now, there's nothing per se wrong like I mentioned with debates, but the moment that the motive becomes, I am saying this, I'm doing this because I want to, and we really need to look deep to find this out, right? Uh, It's because I want to prove something about myself instead of I am simply sharing the truth of the father and that's it, you know? So, uh, and, and it's exactly what you're saying. So many believers are, are stuck in that that bickering, that fighting, because they just want to be right. right. And that's distracting them from, well, maybe we should look outside the walls of the church into the people who are actually in need of the truth instead of trying to have this pride party of trying to disprove each other's theories. Um, and that's the extent of our, that's where our passion goes and the extent of our evangelism. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and we could carry that a step farther and say politics even does the same di- kind of damage. Um, when we are better apologists or better uh, evangelists for our political party than we are about our faith in God, you know, that, that, that does equal amount of damage to the gospel. Cause we, we say we believe one thing, but we're, we're ardently defending this other thing that has nothing to do with our faith at all. Well, it's, it's informed by our faith, of course, but it, it isn't the gospel, right? Um, why I may be a conservative or a liberal has nothing to do with the gospel per se. Um, however, the gospel is the thing that actually changes people's lives, mm-hmm. right? Sure. And, and, and that's an eternal thing, right? That's an eternal problem. Go ahead. Yeah, Jeremy, I think what you're touching on is like something so important because when you think about the life of Yeshua, and when he in the in the time of history that he was in, when he was walking in the flesh, okay, he's in this place where Rome is occupying, you know, the Jewish people. The Jewish people are waiting for a Messiah to redeem them from the cr- clutches of Rome, and they want to just get out of there. With so there's a lot of political 
heat to say the least going on yeah but yet at the same time yeshua focuses all of his time and ministry on the kingdom and the gospel and he speaks very little if at all about the politics of his day not that it's not yeah. important not that there's nothing worth talking about but he had more important things to talk about and so i think we must for, we and there's nothing worth talking about politics or anything but but make sure that your priorities are right and that you're not being distracted by other things. Because there's a lot of interesting things to talk about. And the gospel is always not always the most fascinating things for our flesh, yeah. but it is the most important for our for us and others. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, last one on these kind of common um, uh, issues or stumbling blocks or, you know, um, things that, that may keep us from sharing the gospel. Uh, and I think especially in Western cultures, this is probably a bigger issue, but personal comfort. And that is, is personal comfort, wealth, um, and, and things like that in the Western culture, um, a hindrance to people being truly active, um, in terms of being fully committed to evangelism. Uh, and if so, what do we do with that? Okay. Well, you know, there's definitely a, a a a role that comfort in America and in the Western world plays. I mean, uh, if I just to give you some for every, everyone who's listening some perspective, you know, as I grew up in South Africa, South Africa is a country. If you went there as an American and you've never been to a country that way, you'll have a culture shock because you know there's a lot more poverty. There's you stop at a robot uh, a stop street we call a robot <laughs> uh you you'll find beggars on every corner you'll find you know on the way when i was working back there in south africa i would be seeing a lot of hardship everywhere around me all the time in fact i would not have to venture far to find a lot of people in need and so this was not uh, beneficial for me because it gave me perspective of the world that even though you know I was not in extreme poverty, thank the Lord. I saw a lot of people. And in that way, it's like, wow, Lord, I need to tell these people about you. I need to, I need, because they're so, but now if you get to America and the wealth is just incredible compared to a country like that and the rest, many of, much of the rest of the world, the com because there's so much comfort and because we're not surrounded by suffering, it's like this bubble of utopia we're living mm -hmm. in really is what it is and and your perspective is so far from what's really happening in the world oftentimes and that hinders the passion we all ought to have for the true state of the world yeah. because in america like here's the thing though america it's not that the there isn't suffering it's just that it's 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 veiled and and, yeah. and it's it's not, it's uh, got a mask. Everyone's got a mask on and everything's got a mask on. You, you know, the most rich and wealthy people are extremely broken in their hearts. So it's just that you don't see it on the outside, but we have to dig deeper and we have to be cognizant of what's happening in the hearts of people. So we can have that passion to still reach their broken hearts. With the yeah. Gospel. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think it's a really good way of putting it. And, and I, I had a follow-up question on, on here that I want to ask you and see if maybe that kind of um, hits at a different point here. And, th and that is, do, do we tend to love our worldly comforts more than our hearts are broken for the lost? Um, and 
and it, again, if that's so, what do we do with that? And, and you know, Yeshua has the example with the, the rich young man who comes and he says, "Look, yes. everything you have come follow me." Right? That's the sticking that's point. The he, he's great with obeying. Right? Um, I've done all of these things, but when it comes to getting rid of everything that he's worked so hard for, um, that's that's a bridge he's unwilling to cross. And so. Are, are we at that point in, in some more wealthy Western cultures like America? Uh, and if so, how do we wrestle ourselves out of that that mindset? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are at that point, um, but not everyone is. And because it's a hard issue, as with anything, yeah. thing, you know, so um, there are people who are very wealthy, who are as sold out as the man who is very poor and, and vice versa. But at the end of the day, wealth can create very easily, like the, the scriptures warn, can create this comfort that we think that we don't need God because we have money that, that's going to look after us. But the reality is we're all just as dependent as God as the person next to us, whether we're rich or wealthy, uh, wealthy or poor. Um, it doesn't really matter. Um, so at the end of the day, we, we have to remember this. And, um, you know, when we look at, at wealth, if you feel like you are... Um, held back by your comforts and your wealth, the answer is very simple. It's give it away. Uh, give it away. You know, one of the most blessed times of my life, you know, I was never rich or anything, but when I moved to the United States, I was forced to pack my life into two suitcases mm -hmm. and I had to get rid of everything else I had. And that was even for someone who doesn't have a lot, because I was still a relatively young person and a, a bachelor in an apartment, right? Um, even for me, not giving up too much, it was so amazing because I realized I feel so free right now. Like mm -hmm. I'm giving away all these things that I loved and cared about. You know, I had this guitar I loved. I, I gave that away. I did all this other. And it's like, but wow, I don't know why, but I feel so free. And so if you feel held down by, by wealth, by comfort, by if it's your money, give your money away because you need to do that anyway. Um, if, it's, if it's about your possessions, give that away. Uh, there's real freedom in giving things up. And once you've given it away, you discover that freedom. God will bless you and take care of you. And even if you later um, receive blessings from the Lord in whichever way, you will find yourself more free and not as held down because you have now already made that sacrifice to the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I like that you point that out because it's almost like breaking the ice, right? Once you've done it a few times and you get more and more uncomfortable with the idea that, you know, I have these things and maybe I'm not using them, but they can bless somebody else. It gets easier and easier to, to do that and to see the stuff you have, not necessarily as yours, but as a, as a tool for sharing the gospel and, and bringing people into faith. All right. So the next section that we have here is uh, spirit and truth. Now, this is something PD's book is about. And so I wanted to address this through the lens of evangelism and understanding uh, how how these things that the Bible talks about actually inform our faith and our ability to go share the gospel with other people. So uh, in your book, Reigniting Spirit and Truth, uh, it, you're kind of highlighting that balance and, and really getting back to that, that foundational understanding of what it means to, to have both of those present in our lives. Um, so uh, can you briefly explain when, when you and, and when the Bible uses, because I'm pretty sure I know what verse you're referring to when you talk about it, but um, when you use the terms spirit and truth, what are those things from a biblical perspective? Well, you know, 
if I look at my own journey and, and, and all of us are going to have a similar journey in the case I'm about to explain here, you know, I discovered the truth, if you will, first, I went to a church that taught the Bible and I discovered the Messiah. I later discovered the things like the Sabbath, the beauty of that and other commandments of the Lord and the importance of keeping it. And that was wonderful, edifying. Um, but I, as I briefly mentioned, discovered that, well, that was not the full picture. You see, I thought it was, and many people around me thought that they discovered the holy grail of truth here and we've got everything we ever need. And like, we just came back to the first century church and this and Yeshua's life. And, and to some extent we did, but that was just half the picture. And be when I, because when I realized the other part of it that went along in the Bible is we read about this Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit moved in the life of Yeshua and his disciples through miracles, through proving the truth. And not just in the New Testament, but in Moses himself with all the miracles God did through Moses to show Pharaoh and Israel, etc. So it's all throughout the word. We see that in the beginning was the word, but we also see the spirit hovered over the surface of the water and the spirit was waiting for the word. And then the spirit went to accomplish the word and, and be um, uh, uh, to, to confirm the word. So, the, what happens in our lives as believers is I believe by nature, we have this leaning often depending on how you grew up and maybe your personality on, you know, that's why we even have a lot of uh, denominations. When we say charismatic, you immediately yeah. think about people who are all Holy Spirit stuff. Yeah. 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 And um, when we say, you know, a Dutch reformed or, or reformed or something like that, you think um, more rigid truth, you know, no dancing allowed sometimes, you know, whatever. Um, no. um, and because we have these leanings, but when you think about it, you know, I believe that Yeshua was perfectly balanced in his walking out and, uh, of, and knowing of the truth, but also in his um, ministering through the Holy Spirit. He was fully empowered by the Spirit. And if we lose one or the other, things go really haywire really quickly. Yeah. Um, just shortly, you know, if you lose the Holy Spirit, yes, you may know the truth, but you will lack love and the mm -hmm. ability to communicate that truth and prove that truth because it's only proven mm -hmm. by the Holy Spirit to a lost and dying world. Yeah. But if you, and if you, you know, on the other side, if you have the, uh, Holy Spirit, but you don't have the truth, well, you're going to be all Holy Spirit stuff, emotions, led by emotions and not as grounded, not as discerning. And uh, you may lose out on what God really wants you to do. So that's kind of the, the, the gist of it. And I believe that's why yeah. the Father says, I'm looking for believers who will worship me in spirit and in truth. Yeah, yeah. And understanding that balance. Um, and I think especially in Torah circles, we tend to really lean heavy on knowledge. Um, and then we sit around talking, 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 and that's great because there's some confidence that comes in knowing the word of God. But if we, if we just yeah. keep that treasure to ourselves or we put that light under its, uh, under a basket, we're not, the, the, the light of the truth of God never fulfills its purpose in our, in our own lives, right? We're not actually bearing fruit and we're told to bear fruit. When, when we look at spirit and truth, then, um, how, how do they directly impact our ability to, to evangelize and share the gospel? 
Oh, this is good. I mean, you know, it's so interesting because, you know, I've, uh, I love obviously uh, to see um, there's many denominations out there and they all do evangelism differently. You know, mm -hmm. you find that you'll find that a, um, a Baptist typical, very strict Baptist um, would sometimes have a lot of dependence on just the simple preaching of the word and, you know, the relaying of the knowledge of the gospel, which is all very important. Sometimes at the expense of the Holy Spirit's movings, and they will have success, but they won't have the same success as Yeshua and the first century church did, for example. Uh, you know, look, think about Moses. You know, Moses, take, take, he meets God. God doesn't give him the Torah, the law first and says, take that to Israel and Pharaoh and show them the they need to get out of there. No, no. he gives him the, Moses the spirit and miraculous signs, which <laughs> proves and, get, and that's what actually convinces them to leave, to see God's goodness and give no. them reason to follow God. And the spirit does that. And now after they get that, now the truth is related to them at Mount Sinai. Yeah. Sometimes we get it backwards, right? So uh, now then you have other people who they rely on holy other denominations rely on Holy Spirit a lot. They may not be as grounded in the truth, so they'll be all emotional, getting people really excited. Mm -hmm. But then when they never get brought to Mount Sinai, if you will, they never get yeah. brought to yeah. okay. Now here's the truth about how you really need to live, mm -hmm. and that's what makes people really stick around and grow deeper in their yeah. faith. Yeah. But you don't want to give them what you, you want to give them milk and then meat, but you don't want to, you know, so this is why it's so important. I think we have, we have lost one piece of the puzzle oftentimes, and it has really made it difficult for us to communicate the gospel in a way that is so attractive and effective in reaching people. So, yeah. 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 That's a good answer. And, and, and I've struggled with this because I grew up in kind of non-denominational charismatic circles um, but as I got older, I realized that I was missing a lot of the knowledge that, that would inform that or speak to its truth. I like, I couldn't even test what I was seeing to, to determine and discern whether or not this was the perfect will of the father as scripture tells us to, you know? And, um, and so like you said, there, there's this balance in, in understanding, look, I need to know the word of God because I need to know what, what he's telling me to do. He doesn't act outside his own character. Well, if I'm never in the word, if I don't have that truth and that knowledge, you know, I could hear all kinds of things and not know if any of it is God, you know, that's one of the ways that we learn his voice and, and learn how to obey. Um, but like you said, um, you know, there, there were nine judgments in, in Egypt before God says, now you need to go do this. You know, the final one, now you have a task, right? And as he demonstrated himself to them and then said, look, you need to obey now. And so much so that, even people outside of the Hebrews saw what was going on and said, okay, something's happening here. You see the same thing with uh, Rahab, right? Where she's like, I've heard what your God has done and I believe it. And, you know, I need to be saved. <laughs> That's you know, profound. we're not going to survive. And uh, it was, yeah. it's really, it's a really interesting relationship there. And, and like you said, I think a lot of times we're missing one or the other and, and there's a, disjoint there where it makes us less effective and i didn't mean to interrupt you go ahead no yeah yeah i mean it's profound that the mixed multitude like you just mentioned came out because 
of the moving of the Holy Spirit. That was like the thing that drew them out to then receive the truth thereafter. So we shouldn't toss aside how important it is. Paul said, I did not come to you in wise words and knowledge and an eloquent speech and, and all this stuff that yeah. we so often heavily rely on. He said, I came, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith may not rest in man, but in God. So you can see the miraculous works of him and trust him and not just what a man is relayed by words, which can be true or not, or, you know, this man can fail you one day or another. But if you experience yeah. God's, so, so we have to ask ourselves, how can we show other people around us God and how can we allow them to experience God's power in their lives and especially in a short moment that we might have with them that means we need to trust god so much we need to you know there's just as one little example you know yeah, go ahead. um you know i uh you know there's been times when i'm like just to just go back on that grocery store example i said earlier just asking the the cashier helping me check out hey because anything i can pray for you know, and if they have a hurting something, a shoulder or something, just be like, Lord, I thank you right now for a new shoulder. Amen. Just just quick and easy like that because I know I don't have a lot of time. And I've seen the Father sometimes just do a miracle right there, healing a person or maybe giving me a word for a person just by trusting, going on a limb. And in those moments, when that happens, you may have 10 seconds with that person, but those 10 seconds can be the thing, the experience that draws them closer to God than anything you could have said in your wisdom alone, right? So yep. we need to trust and depend on him. This may be the difficult part for us, but it, this is what faith is. And it, it, when we do that, we'll see amazing things in our lives. This actually leads perfectly into our next segment. And I'm asking this question because I know it's a hot topic, especially in a lot of Christian circles. Um, I don't hear as many people in, in Torah circles necessarily talking about this, but I think it's an important question. And I, let me give you some background because I, I think it's important for you to know why I'm asking the question and kind of where my mindset is. Um, and, and that is, you know, I grew up in charismatic churches. So, you know, miracles and the spirit of God and all this kind of stuff was a part of that. Um, and as I got older, you know, and kind of coming out of that, I saw so much um, falsehood in it. And, and not to say that as a whole it is, but I, I could look back and go, what was that? You, you know, and not in a good way, you know, I mean, there are times where it's a good thing. And then there are times where you're like, I don't know about that. I'll give you one example. Um, one of the churches I was at, you know, they brought a lady in to teach everybody how to speak in tongues. Right. Mm. And literally the instruction she gave, she gave people was, you know, chirp like a bird and cluck like a chicken. Like literally the exact word had people barking like dogs and things like that. And you, you take a step back from that and you go, okay, there's some difficulty here, right? And, and you have people that profess to be healers or people that profess to be prophets and, and to work, you know, by the spirit of God. And, and time and time again, you see these people's words of prophecy being disproven or, you know, a, a minister who performs miracles is discredited for one reason or another. Um, so the, the short question is, are miracles for today? And I guess the longer question would be, if they are, um, what's the purpose? Uh, what should we see if these are true miracles of God? Why does God use miracles um, in, in the work of evangelism and in the work of the lives of people? Yeah, you know, I think what, what you're saying is so val valuable in that there are many people like yourself who've had that experience, uh, you know, who grew up in those circles. And I think 
one of the before I answer your question, what I just want to say is that it's so important for us to be careful about what I believe the real objective is of the enemy in those situations. And that is to actually turn you off from the Holy Spirit completely. Like the counterfeit is there to, to make you so confused that you don't even know what's real anymore. Yeah. And so that you're just so afraid of anything spiritual or Holy Spirit maybe related that you just don't want to do. Like you could walk away from there and say speaking in tongues is totally weird and demonic and I don't want anything to do with that ever again. You know, uh, and many people are in those positions. But now what you've allowed to do is if that's if that happens, you've allowed the enemy to work his work in your mind about turning you away from God's Holy Spirit and his works, which he wants to do. Miracles in the lives of believers are supposed to be normal. Um, we are supposed to be seeing uh, spiritual gifts, which are supernatural by nature, happening in our lives. And, you know, we all have are going to have our gifting, our strength, our area of expertise, if you will, um, uh, for one, that is speaking in tongues. For another, that's praying for healing. Another, that's prophecy and words of wisdom and knowledge. And it goes on. Um, but it's important for us to seek that out. It's important for us to desire that because the Lord gives to those who desire. He's not going to give you a snake if you ask for a fish, right? So uh, that's important. But why is it important? It's important because, well, for two twofold. Uh, in the in the body of believers, it's important for us to support each other. Uh, when we are in a fellowship and I'm going in there and I am in a crossroad in my life, I have no idea where to go, what to do. And if you have a spiritual gift of words of wisdom or words of knowledge, you can pray for me and the Lord can speak to your heart and say, tell me what you feel the Lord is directing me to. And I can taste that. And I can have peace and make a decision. And Jeremy, you had a massive role in that because, you know, you helped me because you listened to the Lord. Where if I never encountered that through you, I may sp still be struggling with that, wrestling with that. Or maybe it's healing, whatever the case is. In the body itself, we support each other. But also, very importantly, the second aspect of it is to those outside. People who are coming in from outside experiencing God through just like how Israel and Pharaoh experienced God in Egypt. Those who come into from outside the world, come into the church, the fellowship can experience God there and then have an ear to hear the truth spoken from the pulpit. Then they will want to know more. Yeah. Um, so that's why it's important. And that's why when we do away with it, the uh, it's just so uh, it's so for me, it's like, it's a dead church a dead uh, body that has no life in it you can you can have words and truth but if you don't have the life that brings that truth alive because you can't have the truth without the holy spirit making it alive um it's so dangerous for us and many place people have fallen into that so my hope and desire and what i just want to see is just the body rise up with this amazing hunger for the Holy Spirit to see that come about in everyone's lives. One of the, the arguments you hear a lot of times um, in regard to, you know, working miracles or, you know, prophets or apostles is, well, that was a season. God allowed it for that time to grow the church then, the first church, um, but that's not for now. So does the Bible address that question? And if it does, 
how do we know if, if that is true or if what you're saying is true? Cause you'll get both, both answers. You know, how do we, how do we know that this is of God and, and how do we demonstrate that in scripture? It's pretty simple because there's never been, I can't think of one example in all of scripture, old or new Testament, wherever Genesis revelation, where there was God reaching out to a people pagan or Israel alike with merely the preaching of the word without ever doing acts, miracles of some sort, a demonstration of power or love of some sort that is super, that was supernatural in order to reach those people. What I think about often are me, what I think about more often than not, I mean, maybe you could find a few examples, but more often than not, I'm just seeing the Lord coming with these examples of his love and power through the Holy Spirit. So I would actually say you need to find me evidence on the other side, because I've, I, I, I'm, if, whether it's before the Holy Spirit was poured on Acts 2 or after, God didn't change the way he did things. Like, it's not like he... Uh, uh, like Moses, like we discussed, needed the Holy Spirit. Yeshua needed the was using the Holy powerful Holy Spirit. The disciples did. The early church did. We see the early church fathers experiencing risings of the dead and the historical writings. Um, and we have mir miraculous things happening today all the time. Those testimonies haven't stopped. Um, there are people who have said they have stopped, but that is in their circle. In their circle, it has stopped. But that is not evidence. That's experiential. I see, don't see it around me. Therefore, it has stopped. But that's not, okay. you can't base it off that. Well, my question would be simply this, is what happened that people don't need to see God's power and love the way that God has always done it throughout the word. Why it has, how has people changed that they can only now get along with having a word taught to them, which is important, but that being only what they, how they experience God. That is, that is separating from what, just what we read all across God's, the word in regards to God's character and how he has demonstrated his love towards people. Yeah, I and I guess one of the questions I might have, because um, there's two sides of the coin, you know, so you have the, the one coin that says, that, well, you know, dispensationalism where, you know, there are these time periods or these categories where God worked a certain way to a certain people and then changed into this or that. Um, and then on the other end, it's 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 basically no holds bar, right? Like everything goes. And but we also see God being a God of order and a God of, of sure. purpose and direction, um, you know, to the tune where, you, uh, you know, the churches I grew up in said that you didn't have the Holy Spirit and therefore you were not saved if you didn't speak in tongues, oh, yeah. um, you know, so and maybe maybe the, the dichotomy there is the wrestling between the two extremes rather than realizing, look, the scripture is probably someplace in the middle. And why don't we just go back there <laughs> and figure That's out exactly. what it says? You know, um, so I guess my question to you in a follow-up sense would be: Is is there a time or a place in Scripture where you see that God stopped doing those things, or do you see throughout the course in the narrative of Scripture that it, it He always did them? Um, maybe just more or less in certain examples, but um, do you do you see evidence or proof that God stopped doing that? Um, I mean, there are times in, in our, you know, the Bible is 
there are times when we don't know what happened because the word is silent in certain periods in history, right? So we don't have everything that has ever happened in history recorded in the Bible. So there are certainly possibilities that there were times and periods where, I mean, I believe that there were periods and times when there wasn't the same amount of things happening than in others. Um, but that also doesn't mean that nothing was happening. I mean, there were, we know about the, for example, we have the writings of the prophets today, but there were many other prophets who were legit prophets who aren't recorded in our Bible who yep. God had in their day, just like people could use God could use people today, right? So, um, I don't believe that God, you know, what we are if we're going to say that God stopped, um, in some sense, what we're saying is God's character has changed somewhat. A part of Him, who which you know, the Holy Spirit makes up a part of Him, that part of Him got shut down for a little while. Um, yep. I don't believe that, I don't see that. I think that, um, he has always been involved in the law, if not corporately, and in the lives of individuals doing miraculous things to some extent all the time. That is who he is. And But I think that people who, like you're talking about, who are coming against, coming against, but I would say, who are, who are of the mindset that um, things have ceased, they generally believe that God is a God of the miraculous. They just struggle to um, reconcile whether he is as miraculous as he's always been. Yeah, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Sure. Uh, and, and I think that it's just oftentimes, like you just mentioned, our experiences of bad experiences, um, or maybe you grew up in a Dutch Reformed church like I did, and I didn't see anything ever. Like yeah. I never saw anything up until I got at, into my, you know, twenties, um, but it was only when I, this is where it changed for me. I'm just going to be honest. You know, I was convinced there was, there was nothing like that, but it changed when I opened my Bible, saw it happened there. And I was like, Lord, did you change the way you do things uh, or did you not? And when I came to that conclusion for myself after prayer that, no, I don't believe he changed. I believe the book of Acts is still like it is supposed to be today. Just in believing that, having the faith in his word, I started seeing those things slowly manifesting more and more in my life as I stepped out. Yeah, and 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 I want to add and 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 I would encourage you to respond if you feel like you need to. Um, that it doesn't negate or somehow erase the need for right teaching or right preaching or speaking. Um, that the that I think what you're saying is that the two are supposed to be working together. The the word is I love the word. We teach it all the time, right? But at the end of the day, um, the and and the word is oftentimes in of itself powerful enough, right, to do to reach someone. But sometimes, um, if I'm if I have a pagan in front of me, they're gonna need to hear more about what the Ten Commandments say. Mm -hmm. They're gonna need to see that there's something different from what another religion has said, because many religions have, have their own scriptures, right. but what makes ours different? The, the thing that makes it different apart from it being true is that there is a power behind it, that our God is alive and not dead and that he still does things that's in this word today, because if he stopped doing it, that means that this word is not alive. It means that this word is, is a historical book not a book of reality. 
Sure. Okay. Um, so that actually takes us into the next question uh, really well. And, and that is, is it different working in uh, Western or developed countries uh, versus um, like in, in what we might call or consider third world countries? And I don't say that in a derogatory manner, but um, I, I don't know any other way to word that question. Maybe you know better than I do. Um, why is it that we see, or it, it appears that that things are different there in the sense that it seems like people are more eager to hear the word of God and to accept it. Um, you know, I, I hear stories all the time from people that are over there saying, look, you know, this miracle happened or this miracle happened. Is there a reason we don't see that in, in America as much? Um, and even to the tune where we're, we're losing believers at rapid rates and not adding believers at rapid rates, but in places where they're being persecuted all the time, like China or North Korea, the church is growing so fast and they're hiding. They're not even public and they're growing at monumental rates um, mm -hmm. with more conviction and more faith with just snippets of the Bible that they're, that they're having to remember in a matter of hours and not even a whole Bible to work with in, in many cases. Um, so like in your experience, um, having worked in different countries and, and being here in the States, um, do you see a difference in, in how people respond? And, and if you do, what's different and, and what do you think might be the cause of that difference? Uh, well, you know, like you mentioned, I mean, Western countries are oftentimes fat and happy, so they don't feel like they need God. And that's definitely going to be uh, a reality in how we see people react and respond. Um, you will see people who are suffering in their lives more, being more open to solutions for their suffering. And so, of course, those people will be more open. And those countries, generally speaking, I will say that. So, I mean, but at the same time, I don't want our listeners who may be American or European or something to think, well, you know, it just only happens there in Africa. And, you know, I, oh, well, you know, um, no, it's not that. I mean, there's I would I would dare say that it's God is. Okay, let me say it like this. God is not different in South Africa than what he is in America. He's the same God on the streets. The people are different. So they may respond different in how, uh, when they, how, ex and how excited they would get when a miracle happens or how well they hold their pose. Or, you know, uh, they may um, not be as open all the time. But what I will say is this, you know, I'm trying to think now while I'm speaking with, about this is, is, I mean, in South Africa, on the streets there, there are people who are suffering and there are people who are very open when you win, go up to them to start talking. Uh, we call them people, a, a person of peace. There are other people on the streets of South Africa who are also suffering, but who aren't open at all and who don't want anything to do with what you're saying. Similarly, there are people in America of the same type, of both types. It's not like there aren't people here, of course. So I, we oftentimes, you know, me and my wife, I remember you know, we prayed. We went out once uh, not too long ago in a, into a Walmart. We just walked in there, bought a bottle of water just to, but we we're actually there to just pray for people. And there was a lady there. You know, we went in there before we went. We're like, Lord, we're going to do this. Help us and, you know, be with us. And, and there was a lady there as I was standing by the freezers in the back of the Walmart. And, I, and she just come, walks up to me. And I didn't go to her. 
I'm, I'm kind of looking around to pray for, looking to who I could pray for. But she just walks up to me. She, she just starts saying, I'm so confused. I don't know what's going on. Like, I just feel so confused. And, and I'm like, oh, can I pray for you? <laughs> and she's like, oh, yes, please pray for me. You know, and, I, and we ended up praying for her and, and, and ministering, just speaking to her, speaking life into her life. And, and I just, you know, I can walk away from that just being like, well, this is, you know, you can think, oh, all Americans, they're just, you know, they don't want it. There are people so hungry, people who are a person of peace everywhere on the streets of America. And you don't need to go far to find them. You will find people who are not interested and you will find people who are interested. In terms of the miracles, the same miracles happen everywhere. Um, the thing that I think is different is that we don't see as many miracles happen here because and I don't think it's because of the people we're praying for. I think it's more often us. I think it's more often how we are the ones who are um, not praying for as many people, maybe, or, you know, whatever the reason is. Um, I don't think it's, you know, people are people and God wants to reach all of them. I do think just to finish this part of it, I think that there is a degree of difference in that people who are very wealthy, typically as it is in America, are going to be less hungry for God. And so we will see that. Yeah. And so we will see. And as America, if America was to um, uh, degrade in its society over time, as many other countries have, we will see revivals that will not be occurring in the same way as a country where things are going well all the time you know so yeah yeah and you see that in the scripture as well um to a large degree when when the persecution increased the, the you know you saw more growth in in believers and, and more growth in the church as a whole um through all of that yeah i think all of us need like you said you know all of us need god it's just that if we have a lot of wealth and prosperity. We can be disillusioned to think it was, it's we we can take care of ourselves and we don't really need him. But ultimately, we're no matter how rich or poor we are, we are equally dependent upon him. It's just about yeah. whether you really know that or not. So yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that's a good way of wording it. So that's the end of the the talk on evangelism. Um, we're going to do our lightning round next, which is just kind of fun to get to know PD a little bit better, have him answer some uh, maybe challenging um, doctrinal questions in as short of a period of time as possible. And these are all the same questions I asked the people that we're interviewing um, partly again, so the listeners can, can see and hear maybe how people differ and how they answer these questions. Um, <laughs> but I think there's also great benefit and joy in seeing how the answers are also very similar. Uh, so uh, that's what this is about. Um, but before we get to that, I wanted to give uh, PD a chance if he felt like he needed to summarize or offer additional thoughts on anything that we've already talked about before we get into that. Uh -oh. I think we covered my, I covered my thoughts pretty well. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, and again, this is just as quick as, as we can get through it. And, um, again, kind of, kind of for fun and, and, and maybe a little educational as well. So, uh, first question is who is your go-to like band or musician or whatever for good kind of Bible based music? Uh, who, who would you listen to? There's, or who a band, recommend? there's a, there's a band called Shane and Shane really love them yeah 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 they have some really good ones um is, is it hymns is what they call the the albums where they're basically like singing scripture yeah. yeah um 
Yeah, I, I grew up on them. I'm actually old enough to know when when they were pretty mainstream, but their music I think has actually gotten better uh, in in their age. Uh, number two, should people use the name Jesus? Of course. Who else? <laughs> how are they going to know who you're talking about? I mean, you know, um, just I have to explain what I just said. Otherwise, I'm going to get emails. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but the reality is, is that you know. Uh, whatever you think about the theological aspects of it, of God's names and things, when you're when we're talking about evangelism and you're going to someone on the street and you say Yeshua, that's great. And, you know, but uh, my first priority is to make sure they know who did the miracle, who touched them or who they're encountering. And if the only thing that if their framework is Jesus is the one who died for the world, I will tell them that. And then once they come into fellowship, once they once I form some form of a relationship with them, they're going to hear me say Yeshua. They're going to hear me say Yahweh. They're going to hear me whatever. And they're going to be like, whoa, why are you saying that? What does that mean? And I'm going to explain it to them. But in the beginning, I don't want that to be a distraction from what's happening in the moment. Because if I'm saying Yeshua in the moment, that's the first thing they hear. They're going to think not about what God is doing right. as much as what God is he even talking about. Yeah, and who yeah. is this and why is he saying that? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's always one of those ones that's really hard to answer uh, briefly. Um, so many people, when I ask them that question, there's kind of this urge to explain, you know, the answer. But yeah. uh, I, I I completely. Oh yeah, agree. I'm sorry. I'm supposed to be quick. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're good. Because I I don't want to trap people into thinking they have to give me a one word answer. Um, but yeah, that, it's kind of answer as best as you can, as quickly as you can. Sure. All right, number three, what is your favorite Bible version? If you, Again, if you're kind of making a recommendation or what do you use in your own study time or teaching time? Oh, goodness. I mean, you know, I feel like I'm going to get stunned for this one too because <laughs> my answer is going to be the Bible that's in your drawer closest to you. Um, and uh, whatever word, what you know, there are translations that are better than others. Um, but, I, but there are translations that are harder to understand than others. Sure. And so, you know, I encourage people to really find a translation that, I mean, there's a lot of just good translations out there. there you don't need to look Google what's the best translation in the world academically. And I have to use that one because it may be harder to understand that one. Um, sure. so, it's, so I encourage people to really just look into um, a, a very, do your research, but, you know, um, choose the one that you read that reads easiest for your personal taste. Yeah. Yeah. And what I've noticed even in my own faith is I, I tend to grow out of one and move into another, the yeah. more I understand the word. Um, but when I'm studying, I've got 17 tabs open on my computer with, you know, eight or nine different translations. Cause it helps me see, you know, where some of the differences are and highlight some of those areas I need to dig a little deeper on too. So, um, yeah, I, I it, it seems like such a simple answer. Start with what you have on your shelf and, and, and go from there. But yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, number four, define sin. Oh, transgression of God's law. Okay. Number five, new covenant or renewed covenant or whatever. Um, it's a trick question. <laughs> it, it is. I know it's, it's, it's entrapped. Uh, uh, I would, yes, we could say renewed covenant. Okay. If I'm not All allowed right. to explain. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, you know, I, I think that it's, um, it's new and renewed at the same time um, because I think that it's not just the old covenant reinstated. I think that we do see 
our father came and made a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Um, you know, this covenant that is the, the gospel Christ and all the things that he brought, uh, brought for us. Um, you know, the evangelism we've talked about, it wasn't as prevalently spoken of before Yeshua came on the scene the way he did. That's just one difference we see. So there is a difference. There is a change to some extent, um, but not the way that many people think, I think, too. So, Yeah, yeah. Awesome. All right, number six, uh, Paul, apostle or imposter? Oh, yeah. <laughs> apostle, of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm hitting some of these these uh, hot topics we tend to find ourselves arguing about. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm trying to force you to get some bad emails here. Um, That's okay. I already made a, 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 me and David Wilbur actually did a long discussion about this very topic. So I encourage anyone to go and check that out. Awesome. Where, where is that? If, if you had to make the, the... Uh, it's on YouTube, if you look on horizon for YouTube, um, it's called defending Paul, the apostle. Okay. And that was with you and David. Yeah, I, I did a video with him not, not too long ago, so I'll, I'll drop that in the uh, description as well so people can check that out. I, I think it's a fascinating conversation, um, but the more I study Paul, the more I, I realize he's absolutely credible. Um, but uh, that's that's where I stand on it. All right, number seven, name a biblical evangelist, teacher, whatever, um, that, that people should know, a name that they should look up, a name that they should know as another resource. Mm, someone that people don't know. Oh, it doesn't have to be somebody they don't know necessarily, but somebody that you think people should know, even if it may be a relatively well-known person. Um, I admire, um, there's a man called that many would know by friend. His name is Francis Chan. I admire his humility. And um, that's, that's one of the main reasons I would say, if, if you want to grow in humility, I would encourage you to listen to some of his stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, number eight, salvation, salvation by faith, by works, or something else. Yeah, by faith. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, should be that simple. Number nine, is the law too difficult to keep? Well, <laughs> uh, for, for salvation, um, yes. But in of itself, no, it's not a burden that is too too hard for us to do. But we cannot uh, do be perfect enough to be saved through keeping right. it. Yeah, yeah, and we've all broken you know, or transgressed God's commands, as the Scripture says. Absolutely. Um, number ten: Does God change? No. Yeah, we had already hit on that one a few times. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you, PD, for jumping on with me. Um, now, you can find him in a lot of different places. Uh, he's on Twitter, on YouTube, on Facebook. Uh, you can go to his website, um, uh, which, again, we'll link a lot of these into the description so you guys can track that down quicker. Yeah, it was a lot of, a lot of fun. I'm, I'm glad we were able to, to get together. I, I know you are so busy, and, and a lot of the people that I talk to are super busy. And so um, I, I appreciate when people are willing to make the, the time to, to talk and, and kind of share their knowledge. Um, and, and I'm hoping as the more people that we talk to, you know, the, the more resources people will have at their disposal to grow in their faith and, and disciple and, and things like that. Mm -hmm.